need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he just aged nine months in a single day. It's Anna Greenwald! You're just saying that because you're making me feel weird about this beard that's going on. That's right. Andy and I are going to talk a little bit about WandaVision. We're going to talk a little bit about In and of Itself on Hulu. And we'll also talk a little bit about the Euphoria specials. I'm sure a ton of other stuff will come up because it's always a grab bag between these two old buddies. Let's get into the watch! This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? Just some pals hanging out on Zoom. I love it. Is that where uh, we are? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. that's where we've arrived. You know, we've got yeah. WandaVision to talk about, episode three. We can do, do that in the second half of the episode if you want to, because I know just way more pressing matters at, at hand. Just two guys catching up. Greenwell, what did you, what did you, what was your favorite thing from the weekend? Oh, um, boy, you know, first of all, I want to say I didn't actually respond to this text that you sent me, but I want to just put this out there because I know people are interested in what we say, our opinions, you know, things like that, what we cover, but they're also interested in us. You know, I feel like that's fair to say. And what you guys need to know about Chris is he is as wonderful a friend offline as he appears to be on because every week during the pandemic, Every Friday, yeah. my guy checks in and he's always like, what's on tap for the weekend? And at this point, I feel like he's doing a bit. I feel like it's some sort of like Dada it's comedy. It's like, not. I'm honestly hoping for inspiration from you. I'm hoping I for will, ideas, like anything. I will give you some children to take up your weekend. Like that is, that's it. That's the weekend for me. So I would say, what was the, I mean, what were the highlights? I uh, chose... So a, a good friend of mine, a friend of yours as well, is moving back east. And uh, we decided we had a long simmering plan to go for a walk, which is something that you can mostly still do here, uh, variants aside, you know, yeah. so mask, uh, take a walk. And we've been planning this and putting it off for about two months. And we finally settled on Saturday at 3 p.m., which was the exact time that Los Angeles for the first time in 11 months, turned into a coastal English town. I know. It looked and like the, the moors opened, out there. I know. And it rained sideways. So that was a really weird choice. I realize this is a poor time of year to get pneumonia. So hopefully I've avoided that. When, that, ha when that happened on Saturday, I just like put on an entire outfit of L.L. Bean. Did you, <laughs> did, did you really? Did you love it? I, you like, I will you use like any any excuse to dress like I live in Minnesota. It doesn't matter. Like I will just start putting on every jacket I have as soon as See, it gets below 50 here. Because I've only, I, you know, I've lived here four years now, but I still just want what I moved here for, which is not that. And so I'm just out there experiencing the feeling of, do you remember? Like, I don't, I think people who live here for a long time just forget things that were just a normal part of life. I, this is like, what's driving me crazy about living here is like just exactly what you're saying. I was, I was like online when it rained like on Saturday, right? So oh, on yeah. Sunday, I went to go get a coffee and the woman in front of me, I could hear her because it was like, you wait until the person in front of you has cleared the, the cafe right. and then you go in. And I could hear her being like, well, thank God the, the clouds are gone. I don't need that for another year. And I'm like, we're losing our minds out here. We're losing it. We need to get more seasonal variants in this place. No, I, I am fine with that. I am very unhappy when it is anything less than 70 and sunny. And because like Saturday, I had soaked denim legs. Do you remember That's, that feeling? Yeah. 
Yes. That is like yes. 60% and of you my know life what? in that New York. Made a, that made us, it built up stronger character than we have now. My character is fine. My character is fine. I don't need that anymore. I don't need that kind of external strength because I believe in the light within. Shouts to our Quaker education. So walking in the rain on Saturday was a highlight. And then I was just saying to you and Kaya on Sunday, I did a double feature of a seven mile run and then a three mile hike. So basically that is my life where it is either all the same indoors or uh, <laughs> moving my legs outdoors. That's yeah. where I'm at. Cool. What about right. you? You, got, you must have had something. You, you have, to my mind, you have a dazzling life of options. And yeah, I feel like I've started to got, get a little self-conscious about telling you what I'm up to because I know that you're on, you're just really doing everything you can to keep your kids engaged with planet Earth. And uh-huh. so if I tell you that I had a big old nap between the second and third quarters of the Chiefs-Bills game, Jesus Christ. <laughs> or that... Uh, Self-care. I, I started I watching a horror movie at like midnight on Saturday called Empty Man that was really good with James Badge Dale and Marin Ireland. Was those about, are two of your favorites. Those are two CR Hall of Famers right there. Um, the, the Probably the most fun I had, not fun, but I had a lovely Friday night. I got a great takeout meal from uh, a restaurant. Kaya just informed me, I've been pronouncing it wrong, but a, a lovely me- restaurant downtown called uh, Bavel. Oh, it's not Bavel. I thought it was Bavel. Kaya informed me otherwise. Bavel. I feel like... I, I said Bavel. I'm not entirely sure. I just think that Ty goes to the person closest to, to Israeli. Yeah, that's you. Which is, which I guess by default is me. No, it's like Jewish power rankings of the watch. It's definitely A-G-C-R-K-M. <laughs> I think, that's, I, I think <laughs> everybody's okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you pronounce it? I thought it, it was Bavel. Okay, so Bavel, I got Bavel takeout. It's a great place. Had some lamb shawarma. But Andy's the foodie here, so I would I go with Andy's. A temple to all these different like flavor components. You know what I mean? Like you got mm-hmm. the acid going in there, mm. got a little pickled cauliflower on top, hit it with all the sauces that they had. And because no one else in the house was eating a lot of lamb shawarma, I made like basically like the mega shawarma, you know, and just blacked out, had a couple beers, what and then cake. watched the first of I watched both of them this weekend these Euphoria specials, which I really wanted mm. to ask you about. Now, I know that you are not a Euphoria watcher. I was a hard like. Like, I was like, I like this show. I'm, like, I'm yeah. not going overboard about it. I think it has some flaws. But I found the cast incredibly charismatic, especially Zendaya and, and Hunter Schaefer. It really grew on me as the season went on, um, uh, that first season. So they were about to start the second season, Pandemic Hit. And as a kind of workaround... Sam Levinson, the person who uh, writes and directs most of the episodes of, of, of Euphoria, decided to do these two specials, these two holiday specials. Holiday specials are a much more common occurrence for Brit TV, but he uh, brought in uh, Zendaya to do an episode and Hunter Schaefer to do an episode. And the episode that Hunter is in, she also co-wrote with Sam Levinson. Um, They're about an hour long each. The Zendaya episode features her character, Rue, talking with her and a sponsor, Ali, played by Coleman Domingo. One of my favorite actors. And let me tell you something. This is one of the best things I've seen in a really long time. I talked about it a little bit on TV Concierge, but I was so deeply moved and shattered, possibly because I was like blood type shawarma at that point, and I was just blissed out. And this is not a very like uh, uplifting episode of television, but it's a very, it was a shattering one. And I thought the performances were great. I thought the writing was exceptional. It was like watching, um, I, I was saying, like it, it was kind of like watching a really great tennis match, watching these two players like play themselves into the game. And it's basically about addiction and about belief and, and uh, faith. And it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful piece of acting and writing that I don't necessarily think you need to have watched Euphoria to have seen. So I hope that anybody who's listening to this who hasn't seen Euphoria and is like, well, I got to catch up on 10 hours of Euphoria before I can watch these, you don't. It'll spoil some stuff on Euphoria for sure. But if you just want to see someone trying something out, both on a performance level and on a writing level and on a directing level, and answering the kind of like really tough situation where how do we make television during this time period? I hope more shows do shit like this. The thing that I was coming away from this with was was like, I wish there was a succession special that kind of was just... Kendall and Shiv eating Chinese food and watching the news for an hour or something like I would take a lot of 
little left field turns, little left turns and like experiments that we're not really getting now. So kudos to Levinson for doing that. And I also really liked the the Jules episode, which aired last night and that I thought was, you know, it filled in a lot of stuff on the Jules character that uh, explained some of the things that happened in the first season in a really artful way and and does does a lot of stuff that you could tell they were just experimenting. Like they... They like basically the opening three minutes is just like a Lord song playing while Jules's character arc from the first season is being reflected in Jules's eyes while a Lord song plays like uh, just trying which, shit which out Lord song. I just want to gauge my own liability. That yeah, good song. <laughs> um, anyway, I just wanted to shout those out because I thought they were really excellent and uh, it made me very excited for season two of uh, Euphoria, which we may not get in 2021 so just wanted to highlight that i love that i well two things one i take no pride in my euphoria ignorance that was for people who weren't listening back then that show premiered when i was in production yeah in albuquerque and i was like i can't do this i just don't have the headspace i could i couldn't make it through an hour-long show of any kind uh, during that time i don't just didn't have the headspace for it so that was my fault not the fault of the show but and I it deserves attention. I should check it out. But I, I I really love what you're saying. Partly because selfishly, I really just wanted to watch an hour of Zendaya and Coleman Domingo because I think they're both exceptional. Yeah. Um. So I will check it out. But two, I think you're making a really good point. Not just about a better way forward for all media if it could just be a little more nimble. I mean, we are seeing established institutionalist things like you know, uh, the theatrical window just start to fall like dominoes. There is no reason why uh, other, even, you know, less entrenched ideas about how production should work should fall, why they can't fall also. You know, in in my mind, the only like, you know, uh, sudden pivot to current events that sticks out of my mind is, is that, you know, absolutely awful episode of West Wing that oh, happened yeah. right after 9-11. Right. And maybe that's a cautionary tale or maybe that's why other shows don't do it. But Wasn't that like look, a season premiere that they had rewritten to reflect 9-11 or something like that? I think what they did was they had a season premiere locked and loaded and then 9-11 happened and they delayed the season and they did a live or almost yeah, it's live like type Stalker episode. Yeah, Channing and, and Martin Sheen are like in a like locked in a room with a bunch of like school kids because they're on yeah. lockdown, right? Yes, something right. like that. And uh, I mean, especially, I mean, I, you got to think that that the fact that Sam Levinson is relatively young and is a filmmaker himself and that Zendaya is, is both young and a sensation, like that, that moves things along mm-hmm. more quickly. But this fear, I think, is sort of baked in of like, oh, messing with the canon messing with the official season, like and and all of those things have started to crumble. And I think that's probably a good thing. I, I would much rather have, you know, a nimble, honest change of schedule or change of style or change of delivery method that's in response to what's possible in the moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to and and you know it'll be interesting to see this as these long delayed seasons start to finally both get into production and to post and onto our screens. I would much rather the former than something that feels tight, you know, like I, I, there's no reason to beat up on, on the great. I'm sure the great second season will be very successful, but I keep thinking about just like the hoops that are necessary to jump through to make a COVID friendly, COVID safe. Nobody wants to be COVID friendly, a COVID safe model for the second season on a show that demanded, or at least set the precedent of dozens of Randy extras in every frame. Yeah. So what does that mean? You know what I, it, so that I'm, I don't mean to hold that show up, but I just feel like there might be a, Kind of Dude, I mean, like Euphoria was also another show that I think was not going to be very COVID safe. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot, a lot of Randy of, extras there too. There's a, a few Randy extras. I think there's actually a, a guy named Randy extra who <laughs> shows up at a couple of parties. I was going to say that, uh, did you happen to see the interview that buddy, our buddy Sam Esmail did about the kind of early stages of planning Battlestar? It came out, mm-hmm. like I aggregated mm-hmm. a bunch, but it came out a week or two ago. I was going to mention this to you because he sort of more than, more than talking about what ba- this this iteration of Battlestar Galactica will be about, because I think they're still in the whiteboarding process. He was like, my big hope is that if we have an, a battle, a, a huge battle that takes place over three episodes, we can put those three episodes up at once. And then if we want to do a 25-minute character study of a one of somebody's backstory, we can just put up a 25-minute episode. And that we can really start playing with release schedule 
and the bundling of this of this story and messing around with that. And that was the thing that I really got out of Euphoria is as soon as the Roosts episode started, I realized I didn't really care that much about like where we laughs left off with Euphoria, even though we left off in a very, uh, you know, tenuous, precarious place for a bunch of the characters. It was just that I missed them. And I kind of wanted to see what was up with them and how, what I wanted to hear them talk again and hear them think through stuff. And that often is kind of sacrificed at the altar of what you're talking about, this sort of intricate world building and continuity shaping and saving things for spinoffs and saving things for season four or the final season. And it was it was refreshing to kind of see somebody just be like, I love watching this person just kind of work their way through their shit. Yeah, and, and, I, and I should say, I am very sympathetic to someone like Jesse Armstrong, the creator of a showrunner of Succession. Not that anyone... We're creating a false choice. I don't think anyone was like, hey, Jesse, you, you got some stray bits. You want to do a live episode? I don't think that happened. Right. But you get the sense. I've been thinking a lot about the second season because I missed the show of just how well-crafted it was, you know, how absolutely clockwork it was It was, and how it, it, it delivered, you know, all of the twists and turns up to that ultimate payoff at the end of the season. So I'm very sympathetic to a creator being like, look, I have very special plans here. I don't get that many bites at the apple. So I'm not just going to mess that up. You know, we're going to deliver. I want people will appreciate it if we deliver what we intend to deliver. That said, I think it does take, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to body shame Sam, but 800 pound gorillas like Sam to actually change things. You know what I mean? I mean, I saw this firsthand with him as an executive producer, like he gets stuff done. He opens doors. He he throws that crucial block downfield that lets you get away with stuff. And it does take industry leaders or at least loudest voices in the room to to shake things up to the degree yeah. that you're talking about. And that's very I think what he's saying with Battlestar is really exciting and is a very much the natural next iteration for what we're starting to see with sort of savvy, bespoke release schedules. We talk about how the boys, uh, how Amazon found a sweet spot, mm-hmm. eight episodes total three dumped at once and then week to week. But moving forward, you know, I, I, I would hope that that Disney starts would be paying attention to this too. You know, and, and we can we can pick this thread up again when we talk about WandaVision in the second half of the show, because I think it probably would have benefited from a little bit more creativity uh, creativity and how in the delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we'll get to WandaVision in a second, but speaking of shaking up traditional uh traditional releases. Let's talk a little bit about In and of Itself. This was a show that I actually saw in LA, I think in 2017 or 18 um, at the Geffen Playhouse. It, I, I, so I, when this was coming out on Hulu, I was kind of like, well, I saw it. I, I don't know if I'm going to really check it out. I have to admit, I, I really just scanned it, but it was getting a lot of like really big plot. It's the funny thing about it is that I don't feel like anyone is comfortable telling anybody what happens in this in this production, which is essentially yes. uh, Frank Oz film, Derek Delgadio's one man show called in and of itself, which he had been doing in New York for several years and then moved it to LA. And, you know, this isn't like, Oh, you have to see Hamilton. You know, this is actually literally like once you explain the kind of things that happen in it, I think it starts to chip away at somebody's enjoyment of it. If you go into it cold, I think it's a much more magical experience. Forgive the, turn of phrase there, but it's a much more magical experience to go in cold. Although I don't know if that was the case for you. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I'm of a couple different minds about this. I had never heard of this. And by the way, I would like to sidebar and say, when there is not a viral pandemic, I continue to think that you lead a thrilling life because you have this robust, busy side schedule of theatrical events, one-man shows, magic castle visits you know yeah, i know sure. you're a big fan of 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 close-up magic I like and stuff. three times yeah it's but it's like I, I mostly go for the prime rib but you but you you're out there man you know what i mean you're you're in the streets so let's just get stuff. cards on the table are you a, are you into ma- like do you think magic's cool we've had this conversation on the pod before Have and I, really? I still yeah because one time you just sort of passingly referenced that you'd gone to the magic castle i think i was still in new york and i was just flabbergasted okay i so, and it's relevant here because Derek DeGlaudio is a, is a sleight of hand illusionist, a magician. It's not necessarily the full, um, sco- it's not the, the raison d'etre, to quote, call my agent probably, uh, of the show, but it is a piece of it. 
right? And so I do think that you have to have a, you have to be interested mm-hmm. in perform magic, which you are. Sure. I am. Why? Why? Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Like, it's the same reason why I'm into like Patrick Mahomes, like shovel passing mm-hmm. to dudes, like while 80, like 800 pounds of lineman is chasing down on him. Like, I like seeing people do sleight of hand. I like seeing people come up with creative executions for uh, things like that, I guess. Um, there's not necessarily like a deep fascination. It's not about like having a deep fascination with like there being some sort of magic in the world. It's more about watching skill and performance, I think. Well, which I appreciate. And I think I kind of like that too. I th- but I, I also think that, again, without giving too much away, I think that there's something kind of existential about his illusions, you know, and yeah. about this piece in general. It's kind of trying to poke at the very nature of what is magic and what are we compelled to believe and what we want to believe, which is rich terrain. I also very much walked away with the, well, I didn't walk far because I watched it on my couch, but I, I, I turned it off kind of thinking, and again, we're not going to spoil it. I think people should watch it and we, I, would, I think we both would love to hear people's reactions to it. Thinking that what I saw was kind of a, um, it was, and this this is a, an image that's in the show itself, kind of like a ship in a bottle in that mm-hmm. there was something vibrant, pulsing, messy, emotional, and alive that clearly happens in his live shows in that room, in that very small black box yeah. theater. There's a, there's a lot of audience participation and not yeah, in the and like, lot, not in the hold this rabbit kind of way. It's, it's very emotional. And, and I, th- there was something about, I, and, and I guess this is my question and I, and maybe we can't really answer it but maybe this is something people can let us know about. There was something about it that left me feeling removed and cold Hmm. because I wasn't there. And I don't know whether that's just the nature of this sort of show filmed, which it might be partly. Is it to do with Frank Oz's direction? And let me just say, big fan of Frank Oz's direction. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, one of my all-time favorite films. But he does something in this, and again, I don't think this is a spoiler, that when the show reaches certain inflection points, he shows that same point happening over a number of different shows because mm-hmm. clearly he filmed a number of different performances. Uh, that has, to me, it had kind of a deadening effect because it made it feel like a trick, not like an intimate moment that I was sharing with these people who I wasn't in the room with. So anyway, I, I, I thought it was fascinating. I think it's reaction, the reaction to it and its popularity prior to being filmed on Hulu is really noteworthy about what people want out of entertainment, what they're looking for. But I'll also say that I think that it might be helpful for people to go into it, not with nothing in their minds, because basically I had never even heard of this. Yeah, right. Uh, did you just read some review of it or did you see people talking Not even. It? I just saw some tweets. And people okay. were like, the highest praise I can give to this absolute miracle of a thing is I knew nothing about it. You must go in cold. And I was like, okay, Busy Phillips or whatever. Uh, you've never steered me wrong before. Which is true, not to get too inside uh, LA restaurants, but uh, the time I saw Busy Phillips at Squirrel, she recommended a special to get, and boy, was she right. And it wasn't... Was she uh, just standing at the door telling people to get certain th- like jams or what? No, she was dining there. She's a big fan. Uh-huh. Um, Still? Still a big and, fan? And, well, I, I haven't been able to follow up with her. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but do, do, people, do listeners of The Watch know that my relationship with Busy Phillips exists solely because I met her mother once? You have a relationship with Busy Phillips? I don't. I don't. I, I say, we say hello to each other now. Okay. And, well, not now because no one goes anywhere. But she's Busy out Phillips, about in Los let's Angeles. Say, Billy, Busy Phillips is on a hiking trail that you're on. Do you guys acknowledge each other? Yes. Okay. Yes. 100% yes. Because one time my family was on vacation and I was with, uh, I, I had a baby at the time. Uh-huh. And so there was someone where we were saying it was like driving a, a golf cart. And the guy works at the hotel. This is like, resor- like resort. Okay. Yeah. And was like, would you like a ride since you're going over there? You, you have a baby. And I was like, thank you. This is my baby. In case you were wondering, I always felt a little imposter syndrome. <laughs> as a new dad holding a baby. And there was a woman already on the golf cart and we started chatting and she wanted to know all about, she was very interested in, in my daughter and oh, I have a granddaughters and blah, 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 and live in Los Angeles. And, and then she referenced her granddaughter. This is why you should never say your children's names on Twitter, but Busy Phillips is really on Front Street with her yeah. children's unique everybody, names. Everybody knows, yeah. And I was like, you're speaking warmly of your granddaughter Cricket. 
I have to ask, I, I assume your daughter is beloved uh, comedy actress, Busy Phillips. Oh, so you, you, you broke the fourth wall and said that, right? Yeah. Okay. And she was like, oh, do you know her? And I was like, I mean, who among us? So then you met Busy? So, yes. And told her, and she loved this because this is apparently very on brand for her mother, who acts okay. as a de facto publicist for her. Regardless, the least I could do after the, her mother was so nice to me was take her advice and watch the magic show she recommended on Hulu. <laughs> Full circle, baby. Just to say, I am curious. I think hopefully people are still listening to this. And it's Bavel. And I think that <laughs> it's worth going into this not expecting the second coming because then you'll be like potentially the, underwhelmed but the be like, headline this is a really this interesting episode is going to be amazing cricket phillips bevel <laughs> yeah and more yeah and shawarma and shawarma shawarma fever and um, kaya mcmullen's distinct lack of judaism <laughs> yes which has been a recurring theme for the last year and a half but only for the people who are paying close attention um last point i know you referenced uh hamilton uh-huh. And we and earlier, for people who are listening, who are still listening, we were talking about the collapsing theatrical window or whatever. Yeah, but I was I meant that literally, I, like the idea of like the theaters closing and now those I, things are I know. the streaming services. Yeah. That's all I'm saying too. Like I would love it if more stuff just got filmed. I know how the how the what the constitution means to me is up there on uh on one of the services. I I think it might is it Amazon? Um Yes, Maryland. I Hall. think we're trending yeah. towards this happening more and more, I have, but I think I, I'm so glad you're mentioning this. I have something I'd like to say about this. Oh. I would love for more theatrical productions to get a, like, year after it's hit stages, like, it can, it can go on a streaming service. But. Okay. I humbly request that they all look like dog shit. <laughs> they in no way should improve upon the experience of seeing them in a theater. Right. They should essentially be like C-SPAN, you know, where it's like, here is Jake Gyllenhaal and Seawall. If you really want the experience, you need to go see it. You should have gone seen it. I know it's right. expensive. I know that I know that that is a very privileged act is to be able to afford Broadway tickets. But let's just say there is one version of this thing where you get to go see this thing and you you, you know you save up money and you go see a, a play on Broadway or a play off Broadway. The other version is you we we all get to see it. We all get to appreciate the beauty of Sam Shepard's words, you know. But just a camera in the back of the theater, a camera on the left and a camera on the right. That's all I want. None of this, think, no, no spikely American utopia stuff. I think that's great. I also think that that's very outdated thinking, this idea that somehow you're going to confuse the marketplace if there's a film of the show and then at some point later someone makes a movie. You know what I mean? Like the world will be okay. Like, yeah, that's think fun. about how many people would have been robbed of that like moment where they realized that they were seeing Hamilton with like Greg Popovich and Sting, you know? Like when they, you, like, mean, you mean the movie version starring Greg Popovich and Sting? <laughs> no, the, when they, you know, like, because like there was a thing there for a while in New York where like you would go into Hamilton. Oh, yeah. You were yeah. lucky enough to get into Hamilton. You'd look around and you'd be Fuck. like, holy shit, Sting's here. Who, God, I forget who was there. I feel like I may have said it on the podcast that there's all, there was someone totally random when I saw it, but I don't remember. But yes, that's the other. If you watch in and of itself and you're on the fence, First of all, it's 90 minutes. The fence isn't that uncomfortable. Stay right. on it. But two, it's worth watching to the end because at the end, there is more, even more audience participation than you may have realized. Yes. And it, there is, it's pretty funny who, who's there, I would say. Uh, I, I did not expect Hilaria Baldwin to be there. I, I did not expect her to speak Castilian Spanish <laughs> so beautifully. She nailed it. But she nailed it. Yeah. So that was an interesting, it was a really interesting, surprising watch that I don't think had the emotional effect on me that it did on my longtime friend and collaborator, Busy Phillips. But <laughs> I, but <laughs> I, I really like it. I would highly recommend it. If people are looking for some stuff to watch, I think they could do a lot worse than two episodes of Euphoria and in and of itself on Hulu. Can, before we get into WandaVision, let's, okay, yeah, for sure. Can, there was one this other is the, big... This is the work it all out episode. Oh, Have you noticed that Kaya hasn't chimed in since we, we brought up her Judaism? It's because she's doing Torah study. <laughs> in the background, she's... She, we, we shamed her. Uh, 
This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there ebay motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply you 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 got very excited about a, a pop culture drop this weekend, and I need you to defend oh. your enthusiasm. The Kong trailer. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about this. Yeah, what a bunch of Technicolor bullshit, man! That looks insane. Yo. I think that this is there's there's been a few of these movies. Two of them were were Godzilla movies where I've gotten very excited over the trailer and imagined a version of myself that either truth like sincerely or ironically enjoys it, you know, and it goes and just has like a fucking extra large popcorn is throwing goobers at the screen and just, just hooting and hollering for Mothra and all these things. I, I have to say this movie looks absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's right at the Mendoza line where it could dip into unwatchable, but Talk to me in March when, when we're still inside. <laughs> I'm, I respect that. I got to say, this version of you hooting and hollering, neating goobers, this is like Ted Cruz wearing a, a polar fleece. You know what okay. I mean? Like, this is, I don't buy this version of you. I don't buy this common man. That's what I'm saying, is that I think I imagine a version of myself that does that, right. but then I actually think that like I have I have some some internal like receptors that go off. Like I was telling Fantasy about this earlier, where I was just like, this the funniest thing about these movies is how they all start, like when they start these franchises, they all start in the most like sincere, like mm-hmm. this is gonna be about nuclear war. And then like after the third or fourth one, they're like, it's fast and the furious, man. Well, so I learned some so I watched this. And it made me wonder whether we deserve the vaccines. I'm going to be honest with you. I just feel like this is what we're rushing back for. We're good. We're good. Maybe we should just like sit a couple more plays out and really think about we're what we want get, to We're getting the vaccine the so that Martin Scorsese can make a $250 million version of Killers of the Flower Moon. No, that's what we're, we're making. Hoping. No, it's... It, I'm trying to think if Fran Lebowitz is the Kong in Martin Scorsese's $300 million movie. I don't know who is is just Taurus, the Godzilla that yeah. she's filming her battle. I was so, so flabbergasted by this. It looks so... Your girl Rebecca Hall. So heroically, hysterically stupid and just so much time, energy, talent, and money thrown at it that yeah. I was really... I, I, li- I, I really like Adam Wingard, the guy who directed it. I, really well, like so I just need to understand. And so, so I looked this up and I was like, didn't we just do all this? Like, what are we doing now? Because first of all, isn't this Rampage? 
the video game from our childhood that was a Dwayne the Rock Johnson film a few years ago. Does but the, I guess that does had a Rampage, giant wolf. Did the gorilla and Rampage fight a lizard? Like like a yeah, a dude, Godzilla. Oh, I didn't and know. And a that. wolf. Okay, how big so, is the wolf? How big I mean, is the, the gorilla? Listen, you're the one that goes to movies. You should have you should have come prepared. I never played um, Rampage. Obviously, big Donkey Kong guy. I don't really remember playing Rampage that much. Rampage is pretty fun. You okay. just climbed things and punched. Um, right. Regardless, I didn't realize that this That's is... That's not what video games are like now, by the way. I hope you know that. If you ever get back into video games, like once your last kid goes to college and you buy Red Dead Redemption, know that you need to like... You have to like understand your horse's psychology when you're playing these games now. That would be great for me because we've talked about the one time I tried to play... Grand Theft Auto, and I was like, well, I'm going a little fast in the school zone. Like, I'm you terrible. Were try, you were trying to cancel people on Grand Theft Auto. How dare you, sir? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that this movie, which seems fully King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah. from the bullshit factory, yes. is actually the sequel to Kong Skull Island? Like, this yeah. is in continuity? So There's Godzilla, there was, there was Godzilla King... King of the Monsters, I think. Well, there was another one that came out with Vera Farmiga. But there have Kyle been so Taylor. many. I didn't know that and they were Kong actually Skull like, Island was the fake Vietnam movie. Yeah. But they're hewing to canon here, right? Like they're this is oh my God. I just I don't know. And I and I I, I retract it. I, I think society, you know what? Here's my hot take. I think we should all get vaccinated and be better and like have our lives back on the earth. I think that's fine. Okay. That is my blanket opinion. I'll say it to anyone, including Busy Phillips' mother, his lovely lady. But the fact that I watched this and I was remembering a couple weeks ago when Christopher Nolan people were like, Warner Brothers has proved that it is no friend to the creative soul by putting these films on their streaming services. And I'm like, you were serious about that? Like you were fighting for the right for this to be in a movie theater? <laughs> Warner Brothers just gamed all of us because those dudes were looking at what they had in their own personal Hurt Locker. And it was Wonder Woman 1984 and this nonsense. And they were like, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's just really challenge the orthodox. Let's be disruptors. Yeah. They're I mean, they're thrilled. doing a four-hour Snyder Cut. They don't want to put this in the theater. They want to <laughs> quietly back away, right? This is the first movie of of this batch of of HBO Max things that have been coming out where I'm like, I don't know that the special effects are really going to translate to people's televisions. It, yeah, that's the least of their worries. Here's my here's my follow up question because you clearly you're steeped in giant monster lore, and, and I know this is a spoiler. I, I mean, I'm, people are going to be shocked about this. The idea of watching giant creatures. Rampage has what's up, never. What's up with the with the image that you're me. painting of me in this episode of The Watch? You painted it. Where I'm just like, like a I'm big, just a common guy, a magic hollering, a guy who loves magic, stuck in your teeth. Yeah, you're a mark, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Okay, it's pretty clear. Pretty clear. My question is, and I, I'm asking this to you as just, you know what I mean? Just like a guy sitting across from me in a Zoom room who cares a lot about uh, election security. You know what I mean? Like that is your that's all you're, you're just asking the questions. You just want everybody, you just to want everybody like to make sure they're, heard. yes, right. right. So can you tell me why Kyle Chandler, one of our great actors, mm -hmm. says in the trailer, meaning that they had a whole movie to call lines from and they chose this one, says, why is Godzilla trying to hurt people? I, this is the million dollar question. And the, the, the reason why I'm not a millionaire is because I could just watch the previous film and find, I assume that they come to some sort of detente with Godzilla, that they have a power sharing agreement. <laughs> what? Well, obviously so, oh, they need so wait, to bring- So Godzilla like, agree, yeah. in exchange for not filibustering New York, Godzilla agrees to let Kong have the gavels? Like, like how, what is yeah. this power sharing agreement? And then I think what happens is they, like Godzilla breaks- the truce and they have to bring Kong in to defend humanity because Kong has a special relation, like a, like a psychic bond with this child who's able to like communicate with him. Here, here's what I'd like. And I mean this, I, this, I mean this sincerely, like there's this clip that went viral that charmed everyone where these young men who are hearing Phil Collins song for the first time. Right. And they're uh -huh. like, 
This is yeah. incredible. Oh, and, and then they, they do the it. drum solo. Yeah. They do the drum solo and they're like experiencing culture that for us is like, just that was our childhood. We know that stuff. I would like a similar kind of test done for young people, active, you know, once things are back to normal, active, like movie going, culture engaging people ages 15 to 25 and just run some IP by them. Like, do they have any actual knowledge of affection for or allegiance to fucking Godzilla right. in 2021? Do they actually care at all? You know what I mean? Like, similarly, we could do it. I think the answer to this would be no to other stuff that keeps getting run back, like Lost in Space is on Netflix. Do you think people are like, oh, great, terrific. I heard my great-grandfather talk about this radio serial. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just kind of, I have this vision. Maybe this is the utopian in me. Or maybe this is the fact that my only entertainment involves walking outside of my house. I don't know, every so often. But can't we use this as like, a just? can we just reconsider can we sweep this stuff onto the streaming services and just reconsider? I'm not saying we can't have our big franchise entertainment. Sure. But really, what are we doing? But do we need to spend one and a half billion dollars on Godzilla movies? Why are we still doing it? Like, was the was the return on the Skull Island investment that strong? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it's not because they did it because they felt like they had a lot more story to tell or because That's, it was like artistically rewarding. Um, maybe they did. Let's talk a little bit about Wanda before we get out of here. I mean, let's talk a lot about Wanda. Although I don't know if we have a lot to talk about because this was another handoff to Joe Morris, three yards in a cloud of dust episode, I thought. Obviously, at the end of it is the first really significant cracks in the veneer of what this world is. And we get a little Truman Show-esque pullback where we can see Mm -hmm. that um, Westview is actually like under some sort of government surveillance and that Tiana Paris's character gets ejected from it and like winds up in a field at the end. There's also a pretty cool moment where Catherine Hahn's character obviously becomes very suspicious of Geraldine, the Tiana Paris character, being in uh, inside Vision of Wanda's house when Wanda gives birth to her twins. I don't know. Did you have any big notes from this episode? I think I saw a bunch of people being like, they need to wrap this part of the show up and start dropping some some plot points pretty soon. But I, I guess I'm happy enough to to go along at the pace that it's going along. I think that my bigger... My bigger note would have been like, it would have been fine if they had put these three episodes up at once and let people sort of enjoy them in a block. Yeah, I think that this one, I mean, first of all, I I really enjoy the show. I enjoy the world. I really like the performances. And I find it really entertaining, compelling, and not at all unsettling, but kind of, you know, intriguing in Mm -hmm. in the right ways. Um, I think this episode does not work as this week's episode. I think it would have been better served being as a block with the first two or potentially maybe as a block with the next one or two. Primarily because the show is pivoting pretty quickly out of the conceit. And, you know, I I, I don't think there's any need for backseat driving or like Monday morning quarterbacking it. Like this was, this was even if it wasn't meant to be the first Marvel TV show, it was going to be in the first wave. It was going to be the second one. Yeah they simply couldn't just make it Pleasantville for nine episodes. That was never going to be the case. They, From jump, they had to give you a little taste of the larger MCU to keep that casual fan engaged. So I, I get that. The speed that it's happening is, you know, I really was enjoying what they were doing. So I, I guess I'm a little disappointed in that. I also felt in this episode for the first time, and maybe this is there's a meta commentary here because in this episode, Wanda's pregnancy you know, it's, it's nine months in an afternoon, sure. basically. But it really felt sped up and accelerated. And it, mm-hmm. not only that, it felt like they were in a hurry now to shake this conceit because the crafting of the bits and the jokes, I mean, the first episode were pitch perfect. Second episode was funny because it was just a big comedic uh, showpiece in the middle of it. This one was sort of racing to get to the end, I felt, and it didn't really have much. Well, quite other than literally, the they credits. were running, or, like visions running around. Yeah, yeah right. Other than the opening credits, which were once again just amazing. And I was like, I just, they must have had so much fun making it. And I love that they put resources behind that. Um, There wasn't really much else that like hewed to the historical record in terms of what 70s shows were like. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? After the first four and a half minutes, if if that. So that was kind of a a bummer. I, I think the other thing that it's reminding me, and this is where it, the MCU might struggle as it moves to television, which is generally a medium. Certainly we do this. 
people look for more meaning from the story than they are looking for, um, you know, the, the kind of adrenaline highs from the action. And we've said this in different forms as we've post-mortem some of the MCU stuff or, you know, talked about what it might be like on TV, but this was the first time I kind of saw it in practice. It could be that this is true for comic book stories too, but superhero movies are never about anything other than superhero movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're not about 70s Cold War paranoia. They're not about the deep state. They're not about, you know, freedom of expression. They're not. They're just stories about themselves and the entertainment we can derive from them. And sometimes, and this is certainly true in comics, they're also about watching creators cook with the wildest, craziest ideas, images, thoughts, storytelling styles that we've seen. And sometimes that shouts to Derek in and of itself is, is, is worthwhile. Ultimately, this isn't going to be a show. I don't think I'd love to be wrong, but I don't think it's going to be a show about a woman who's basically been, uh, held captive, tortured in a variety of ways for her entire life, which is the Wanda Maximoff story, right? And potentially still true if she is, as is often the case in comics, being held here for her own safety or for other people's safety because her powers are so wildly out of control. It's going to be a story about a robot and a superhero who figure something out and escape. And spaced out over 10 episodes, that starts to feel a little bit emptier, I think, than the alternative. And I'm I'm worried that going forward, this idea of going to TV and being like, oh, maybe there's room for these types of stories in Marvel stories. Maybe that's not going to be the case. I think that's a little bit specific to these characters and the way in which they're telling the story. Mm-hmm. And there's also a little bit of an unfair comparison because this is the first Disney Plus superhero story to follow up after Mandalorian. Not superhero, but big franchise storytelling mm-hmm. experiment to follow up Mandalorian. And Mandalorian, actually, for as much as at the end of the second season became about connecting it to a larger Star Wars universe so much so that a Skywalker shows up in Mandalorian. A lot of those episodes of the first two seasons really are Mando goes to a planet, is given a task, accomplishes this task, sometimes with the help of Baby Yoda, sometimes with some other friends, gets some crucial piece of information and keeps it moving. But there is a set piece. There is a piece of action. There is a piece of like we learn about Mandalorian's specific set of skills when applied to stopping this big worm from crushing all these traitors or whatever. So far in WandaVision, and I think this is my issue maybe with these two characters, even in those MCU movies, is like, I don't really get, like, it just seems like these characters can do anything and are so, like, just completely deus ex machina powered that I don't really know what the stakes or consequences are. And I actually think it would have been pretty funny and pretty pretty amusing to watch Wanda actually have to cook a meal for her boss's husband, for her husband's mm-hmm. boss, rather than like magically put something together and then all of that. And that whole sh- that whole episode is essentially building up to the moment where Wanda breaks character and gets vision to dislodge the food from Fred Melman's uh, mm-hmm. throat. I-, I think that there needs to be, it-, it either needs to go one direction or another. It either needs to fully kind of like invest in the fact that these people are quote unquote trapped in a sitcom, but then actually do the sitcom well. Yes, or, which it did for one episode. I yeah, thought. or get out of this sitcom and make it so that like we're spending more time with Tiana Paris and Catherine Hahn and whoever else is in the show who are kind of monitoring what they're doing and we get into why they are stuck there. Because I think it, it's a little bit in between right now and it maybe is, it's not by any means boring. I mean, they're putting so much into so many different elements of the of the recreations of these these decades of sitcoms that I, I'm not pissing on it. I'm just sort of saying like as a, as a thing that you look forward to and then fire up on Friday, I think it can feel a little bit light and empty. I think one of the, yes. I, and I think that one of the things that it's hinting at being interested in is a recurring story that comes up a lot, especially in the last 20 years about the character of Scarlet Witch, which is she's just way too powerful. It's just dangerous. That's an interesting idea for a superhero story. It's been done, you know, to varying degrees in many comics and not just in the Marvel Universe. It doesn't necessarily square with the Marvel Universe that we've seen in movies where, by and large, heroism is a good thing. Yeah. And all these people put their powers to yeah, not just anything, good use, but collegial use. The, the whole Civil together. War thing was about degrees of heroism. <laughs> like Yes. Yeah. And 
so I think it's it would be very interesting if they are tiptoeing down this road, um, partly because they haven't done something like this, and TV would be a better, more effective place for it, that she's just sort of there, quote unquote, for her own good. And this is maybe her own vision of normalcy that she was denied. And why not let her have right. it? What's the harm? Et cetera, and I saw et that it was like people said like, oh, this is the reality that she understands by watching TV from Sokovia. Like right. watching reruns from classic TV, American TV. Sokovia had a very liberal syndication market, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, that's, that's not so terrible. But it, it also, you know, as often the case with the least successful comic book movies or stories, they generally come from characters or situations that are inherited, you know, that you don't need to do, but you do because the fans expect it. And to that, to that end, like Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch were among the first people to join the Avengers after the original Avengers. And Mm -hmm. so they were logical for Joss Whedon to bring into the story and then obviously concoct a whole fictional nation and you know lift it into the sky and drop it down and all the, the stuff that he did in in the ultron movie but there's no real reason why we need the scarlet witch in the marvel universe you know what i mean like she doesn't elizabeth olsen's great but like those powers that are so ill-defined in the avengers movies there there wasn't like a random happenstance plot hole that needed to sure. be filled with a woman who can provide random happenstance by wiggling her fingers so all I'm saying is I, I hope that, and I feel like they generally do approach these things with this kind of creative spirit, like since they are down this road, then maybe they might actually start to poke at some of the things that may have made her more compelling and kind of almost villainous at times in the comic books. As that would be developed. neat. That would be and, cool. And, and, and the twins thing is a whole other, people should Google some of this because it's just bananas. It's bizarre because she did have twins with a robot lover uh, who... I guess at some point we're retconned away into being just figments of her imagination that she created with the help of the devil, but then also became superheroes in their own right in my friend Alan Heinberg's Young Avengers comic book. So okay. very curious. Have what they you will done do with much uh, like reading at all about East, the, the the sort of signs or signals that we're getting about what the larger story of WandaVision is like, or are you just kind of taking it week by week? I'm taking it week by week, but also the piecemeal knowledge of some stories that I had read in gotcha. in comics and like the sword. There is a group right. that's either it's works like, par- as part of Shield or not part of Shield. I mean, it's done. It's gone through a number of iterations, but there is a governmental type group called Sword in right. the comics that I guess we're dealing with now. And and Tiana Paris was announced as playing Monica Rambeau as the daughter of the character that appeared in the Captain Marvel movie. And was herself known as Captain Marvel in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe before now settling on? I think she's called Spectrum. Okay. So she's she's a superhero. That's who I, I get my, my internet and cable from. So shout out to her. She's doing great for you, right? Like better <laughs> than when she was in New York. Is that fair to say? Right. Um, we can wrap it up there. It was great to talk to you. I think we got, we learned a lot about each other today. <laughs> uh, maybe too much. Is that possible? <laughs> That's up to the listeners to decide. We'll see if they're back on Thursday. Yeah, we'll see. And if they are, that's that's the kind of magic that I can get behind. See you later. <laughs> Great job, Ransky. <laughs>